The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Recession? Can't be. James Bullard, the president of the St. Louis Federal Reserve, voting member of the FOMC, joins us. With all the job growth in the first half of the year, it's hard to say that there was a recession. Phew, but we still have a lot of work to do. We're going to get back to 2% uh, over time, and uh, that is the inflation target. Labor market is still very strong, so uh, it's just the inflation side that we're missing. That extended interview today, plus House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan. Taiwan and the United States shall continue with our mutual support. The mystery, the contention, and the global repercussions. CNBC's Eunice Yoon in Beijing. Could there possibly be a mistake um, with so many military assets in one area around Taiwan? Those stories, plus crypto commodities. And here's a hot take. The dating scene needs a little surge from Squaw. Joe, I think there's an opportunity for us to start a company right now, Metaverse Dating. It is Wednesday, August 3rd, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Andrew by in three, two, one. Hugh Andrew. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan. And uh, well, Becky Quick is off today. So it is just the boys again, again, Joe. But we're going to have a lot of fun doing it. Madam President, Madam Speaker, please take your positions on the stage in recognition of Speaker Pelosi's extraordinary achievements. The government of the Republic of China, Taiwan, confers upon her the Order of Propitious Clouds with special grand court. Taiwan and the United States shall continue with our mutual support. So this is a very important time for us because we came here to listen and to learn about how we can do this more effectively, really achieving the goals for Taiwan. Because a few metaphors, the plane flight heard around the world yesterday. Every, that it, uh, you know that what? it was. I'd almost say all eyes. I don't like using all eyes because it's never all eyes, but a damn lot of eyes uh, on the. So you yep. can watch. Didn't you watch the market sort of go? Okay, she's in Taiwan's airspace. How's everything? How's the plane? Okay, yep. and you could see it as, as things didn't totally devolve into some horrific. Uh, you know, worrisome situation that we all had, it, it kind of came back and kind of stabilized. And, but it looked like it was all about that yesterday, didn't it? Which is right. weird. Uh, to, but it, uncertainty, we know that. She's gone now. And the question I guess. Is, is, the uncer- is the uncertainty over? I don't know. I mean, that's the, part I, that's the part you don't know. Let's continue the conversation we're having right now because House Speaker Nancy Pelosi did meet with Taiwan's president in that high-stakes visit that did infuriate Beijing. And we want to get to Beijing uh, right now this morning, where Eunice Yoon has been reporting overnight. Eunice. Hey, guys. Yeah, well, Speaker Pelosi, as you had just mentioned, is heading to South Korea after her very controversial trip to Taiwan. Uh, today, she pledged U.S. solidarity with Taiwan, and she was granted a Medal of Honor by the Taiwan president, who also held a lunch with her um, that included several business leaders, including the uh, founder of TSMC, uh, Morris Chang. 
Now, she also visited Taiwan's parliament, where she was promoting the U.S. CHIPS Act, and she met in a closed-door session with human rights activists um, towards the end of her day. Now, Beijing's response was very swift. Uh, they said that this was a political provocation that was meant to embolden uh, those in Taiwan who want to see independence as opposed to falling in line with what Beijing believes, that Taiwan is a part of China. Uh, diplomatically, uh, China summoned the U.S. ambassador. Economically, uh, they expanded some bans of imports of Taiwanese citrus fruit, fish. They halted exports of natural sand, which Taiwan uses for construction. They barred uh, Chinese donations to two Taiwan foundations. And of course, the biggest concern is the military response, because very quickly Beijing announced minutes after her arrival that they were going to uh, have live fire military drills in six zones around Taiwan, both in the waters as well as the airspace. From Thursday until Sunday, they're holding missile tests off of Taiwan. And this is after they dispatched 21 warplanes to the Taiwan Strait. All of this raising concerns about the possibility of accidental escalation. And at least in the short term, there's likely going to be disruption to the supply chain. And that's because Taiwan officials have said that these live fire drills are very close to ports. They say that they are within Taiwan's territorial waters and violate UN rules. Uh, they've also, the Taiwanese authorities have been coordinating with regional authorities. So some in uh, Japan, as well as the Philippines, about um, airline space, because airlines have been reporting that China has been uh, basically warning them not to fly into what has been described as danger zones that are around Taiwan. So all of that, as you guys were just alluding to, uh, kind of points a finger that perhaps some of this disruption um, is not over. Well, and that's, that's what I was just going to ask. Are we talking about days here, hours here, or are we talking, you think, about weeks, Eunice? It's re I mean, it's really difficult to say uh, because a lot of people are wondering exactly what can happen. I mean, for, this, for the next several days, uh, there are a lot of military experts who are worried about um, could there possibly be a mistake um, with so many military assets in one area around Taiwan, especially when Taiwan says itself that that uh, they believe that these zones that China has demarcated are within their territorial waters. So that's um, a, bigger, a big concern, at least short term. Um, but also what's interesting, maybe long term, is what's happening on the Internet. Because uh, her, Pelosi's visit was actually very closely followed on the Chinese Internet, where it actually at one point almost crashed Weibo, uh, the social media platform. People were talking, there was a, a very loud voice of people who were saying that they were disappointed that China didn't do something more, that her plane wasn't taken down, or that there wasn't some other big military strike. And now that actually is being tamped down. And in fact, state media has been really focusing very heavily on the military exercises. And it looks as though they are trying to appease this nationalistic a streak that is bubbling up, which could potentially lead to President Xi Jinping looking weak. And then if he looks weak, we don't know exactly what he would do next. So there are a lot of a lot of unknowns at this point. Joe? A little strange, isn't it? I mean, the the CCP really ginned it up, the, you know, stirred up all the nationalist feelings because it's been going on for years where members of Congress visit Taiwan. Not, you know, it's been a long yep. time since someone this senior did, but 
So they get all the, the people all fired up about it. Now they're tamping down that, that they raised expectations about how strong their response would be. And then they, I don't understand it. But I'll tell you, I, I think what, what they're worried about, you know, once this gets out of the bottle, the notion that it's not a given that Taiwan becomes part of, chi- of China, if, if, if this emboldens just the independence-minded uh, movement for Taiwan, uh, that's what the, they, that's something they probably want to cut off early before it, yep. it goes too far. The the biggest skyscraper in Taipei, welcome, thank you, Speaker Pelosi. I mean, so you can see. So I guess we we kind of do understand why both sides uh, had had so many I don't know signals to send to bolster their own point of view. I don't know how it ends up. When's, when's ta- ta- when does Taiwan become part of China, Sorkin? Did they, and can they do it peacefully, negotiated deal, everything, everybody's happy? You know I've always speculated that this happens actually in the next couple of years. I just and think and not, not a peaceful, just everybody gets along. I, that part and, I don't know about. That I don't know. What I don't know is whether there's going to be strength by the U.S. or others to, to effectively fight back or not, or whether they will. I'm not sure, right? Nobody knows. Crypto news just out of Washington about long-awaited crypto regulation, potentially. Elon Mui joins us now with more. Good morning, Elon. Good morning, Joe. Top senators from both parties are introducing a new bill today that puts the CFTC in charge of regulating the two largest cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin and Ethereum. Now, this proposal comes from Democratic Senator Debbie Stabenow and Republican John Bozeman, who lead the committee that oversees the agency. Senators Cory Booker and John Thune have also signed on. This bill explicitly identifies both Bitcoin and Ether as commodities and requires crypto trading platforms, including brokers, dealers and custodians, to register with the CFTC. It would also set new standards for transparency, consumer protection and advertising. And it would authorize the CFTC to impose fees on crypto platforms to pay for all of this enhanced oversight. Now, the senators say the bill would close regulatory gaps, but they also acknowledge that other agencies like the SEC have jurisdiction over cryptos that function as securities. So, guys, where to draw this line between what is a commodity and what is a security has been a landmine for the industry and for regulators. And that's why both of them have been clamoring for Congress to step in. Back over to you. Yeah, security. I know in terms of, uh, it's been a long time. I, I had a, a CTA, Commodity Traders, that when, when I first got in the business, Elon, and, and the CFTC did not seem like a real, uh, I don't know, it, it didn't seem like the greatest regulatory body. This is a long time ago, though. Maybe now it's, uh, it's in a position uh, to have more influence. But it, it, it makes a difference, doesn't it? Securities and Exchange Commission commodities futures trading commission so we need to decide and if it's neither then then why can't it could it be both a little bit of each yeah so that that's the debate that's underway right now and currently there is clearly this turf battle going on between the regulatory agencies over who gets to have oversight and jurisdiction over crypto. The industry has been pushing for uh, to be regulated by the CFTC. Perhaps it's seen as not as robust of a regulatory body. Uh, But this is being fought right now through enforcement actions, as we've seen with the SEC's action against Coinbase, for example. And that's not really an ideal place for either the regulators or for the industry. So it's really going to have to be up to Congress to outline these definitions. We've heard, as we said, both the industry and uh, and the regulatory bodies say we need some clear lines because otherwise it's going to be handled on a case by case basis. And that just creates uncertainty for 
an industry that's already seen a lot of volatility. Well, it seems like it's being taken pretty well today, back above 23,000 uh, on Bitcoin. Thanks, uh, Ilan. Match Group Catering, the dating app operator, reported disappointing earnings, and its sales forecast was well short of estimates. The company also announced a series of changes uh, to Tinder's management team, including the departure uh, of the CEO after less than a year in the job. Match Group is also killing uh, Tinder's plans to adopt new technology like uh, virtual currencies and metaverse-based dating. In a shareholder, in a shareholder letter, uh, the CEO... <laughs> what, about Andrew? Dating in the metaverse. Uh, what about dating in the metaverse? Come on, dating in the metaverse. Like I said, like I said, I don't. I'm glad I got married. You know, no more dating. No, I don't have to exercise uh, anymore. Um, no, I don't. Uh, and by the way, in in the metaverse, you don't have to. You don't have to exercise at all. <laughs> that's right. No, I'm kidding. That's an old. That's an old joke where you don't have to. Don't have to date. Don't have to exercise. Don't have to shower. Pick your really. avatar. Yeah. Pick your avatar. No, that's just, just you know, stupid. It's stupid. And I'm glad they're not going to go into metaverse dating. I the think sex, there's a big does opportunity. Does that sound great Joe, to you, I think Andrew, there's an opportunity it, for us to start a company right now, metaverse dating. I think there's a lot. Andrew, if, a the, lot of, if the opportunity were to arise, which was very rare, but let's say it were to arise, it, yep. that, that something could happen. You're not even in the same area of the person you're dating. It's... It's ridiculous. What good? It's, do I need to draw Emotional. you a picture? Do I need to draw you a picture? You're, you're in separate locations. Oh, you, you're not one of dating, those phone people, are you? It can be very emotional. It can be an emotional. <laughs> we better dating. go. Let's go. Let's go. We're going down a very into a rabbit hole. The CEO of Match Group expressed a frustration with Tinder's performance, blaming it on disappointing execution of improvements and new product initiatives. Think about the Tinder swindler in the metaverse. Think about that. Coming up on Squawk Pod, we are delving deep into the recession debate and our economic future with president of the St. Louis Federal Reserve Bank, James Bullard, who says there may be a soft landing. Second quarter, I think, was uh, more concerning. And so I'll watch that carefully. But now what I think is going to happen in the second half of the year is that we'll get positive GDP growth in the second half. I think uh, we'll have a, a reasonably good third quarter here. Inflation, chips and much more right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. This is Squawk Pod. Here's Joe Kernan. 
The Fed uh, has a good chance of avoiding recession and managing a soft landing, says our next guest, who's right here in studio. Love having him on. I, we've got, I, I like you as a person when you're in. St. <laughs> Louis Fed Reserve President and CEO James Bullard. He's an FOMC voting member this year. Jim, thanks for being here. We've been to St. Louis. You've hosted us out there. We talk baseball. We go way back. Yeah. You're a Squawk Box viewer. Yeah. And, and would, you, would you say you're a lease maniac? Were you, are you in that group where, because uh, he has followers that are rabid, uh, would, would you be elevated to that term, would you say, for Steve Leesman? I follow uh, anything, you know, that's tracking the central bank and our policy. And so <laughs> you guys are, are starting one of the early. leaders. But, uh, You're starting but. early with the tactful answers. Jim, <laughs> anyway, it's great to have you here. Um, we're not in a recession in your view, and, and we may be able to avoid a recession. Yeah, the, uh, the, as the chair said, you know, we're not in recession uh, right now. Uh, we do have these two quarters of negative GDP growth. Uh, to some extent, a recession is in the eye of the beholder. Um, there right. is an official dating committee, which isn't really official, the NBR dating committee, and uh, that's really Bob Hall, a professor at, uh, at Stanford, so he makes the call. But uh, with all the job growth in the first half of the year, it's hard to say that there was a recession with a flat unemployment rate at 3.6 percent. It's hard to say there's a recession. So the second quarter slowdown uh, was, uh, uh, I think, more concerning. I think the first quarter slowdown was, uh, you know, negative GDP was probably a fluke. But the second quarter, I think, was uh, more concerning. And so I'll watch that carefully. But now what I think is going to happen in the second half of the year is that uh, uh, we'll get positive GDP growth in the second half. I think uh, we'll have a, a reasonably good third quarter here. And so uh, and we'll, I think jobs will also hold up uh, over the second half of the year. Job growth is slowing, but it's slowing to a trend pace. So that, that's how I'm assessing it right now, but I'm watching it closely. Yeah, it's one of the things Steve said throughout, maybe don't use that first quarter. If we get a, sec- if we get a third, or a second, if you don't use the first, then then maybe it would be. You remember Potter Stewart's asking, you know, how do you define obscenity or well, yeah. He says, I know it when I see it. That the reverse works for this percent. You would, it just it doesn't look like that's what we're looking at. I don't think to anyone at this point. I guess because of, of of the jobs picture. Yeah, it's uh, it's because the jobs market is so strong. And there are these other indicators. Of course, we're raising rates uh, rapidly and, and tightening up on monetary policy. You're seeing some interest rate effects uh, on interest-sensitive sectors. Uh, that's natural, I think, for, you know, that's something you'd expect to see. But that doesn't all by itself mean that you're in, in recession just because you see some negative signs in some parts of the economy. 75, not usually done. Usually it's, it's a quarter. And you'd probably like to get back uh, to a quarter at this point. But not only you, but, but Mester and others have said it, it seems like inflation might be a little more persistent, a little worse than we thought, and we may need to do another biggie. And then before you get back to maybe quarter points, why should we not think that you guys missed transitory, basically? You said transitory, and now you're overshooting the other way. Commodities are rolling over. There's all kinds of things. Are you saying you don't trust our forecasting model? <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying that if you were, you know, too laissez-faire initially, too complacent initially with transitory, and now you get religion, and how do you know you, you 
you aren't going to overdo it. Yeah, uh, we're going to we're going to follow uh, the data very carefully here, and I think we will get it right. Uh, inflation is high, and we've had to move aggressively just to get back in position. I think one thing for everybody to remember is we're starting from an extremely low, near zero interest rate, and now we've raised up uh, a fair amount, but we've still got some ways to go here to get to restrictive uh, monetary policy. I've argued that uh, now with the hotter inflation numbers in the spring, we should get to 3.75 to 4 percent uh, this year. And uh, you know exactly whether you want to do that at a particular meeting uh, or some other meeting, I think, is, is a great question. Um, I've liked front loading. Um, I think it enhances our inflation fighting credentials, keeps inflation expectations under control. We did do the 275 basis points in a row. That's uh, you know, Greenspan did one uh, once in 1994, so I think uh, in our situation here with the high inflation, it was appropriate to go twice in a row. It's been so long since that last bout, which was awful, and I remember it. I don't think, probably you don't uh, remember it. Uh, you might remember, remember the, growing up. You might remember the Reds won two back-to-back. Uh, I actually Series, don't recall 75, that. 75, yeah. well, I, if yeah. you, okay, well, they did. <laughs> Let me just tell you that they did. So there's an interesting piece today in, in a journal about if you don't remember history, you're doomed to repeat it uh, in certain ways. Are, are you informed or is the Fed informed with uh, a, a fear of a stop and start uh, model that got, that got Arthur Burns or other Fed people in trouble back then where they thought they had things under control only to see inflation come back even worse. I mean, Reagan at that point, it was 12% inflation Yeah. at, at one point after yeah. thinking they could keep it in single digits. That's not going to happen this time, is it, in, in your view? There's, there's nothing uh, to, to signal no, that it's that, that type of... You know, the, the FOMC dilly-dallied through the 1970s and uh, had stop-and-go policies. It wasn't clear what their objective was. It was a different era. Not even everyone Maybe agreed. Miller, yeah. yeah, not even everyone agreed that it was up to the Fed. Uh, but that all changed uh, in the 80s and 90s. And now we have an inflation target. We explicitly say we're trying to achieve uh, that part of the dual mandate: get stable prices for the U.S. economy. Uh, we're going to be tough and get that to happen. And uh, we're going to move inflation back to two percent. So I, I back don't to think. Two? Uh, oh, yeah, we're going to get back to 2% uh, over time. And uh, that is the inflation target. And that's the part of the mandate that we're missing on right now because the labor market is, is still very strong. Right. So uh, it's just the inflation side that we're missing on. So I think I if we can um, uh, uh, take robust action and get back to 2%, we'll avoid this stop-go uh, story. Okay. You got Putin, you got oil, you got things that are totally out of your control. That, that could make it much tougher to get to 2%. Maybe the supply chain eases and, you know, as a pandemic, hopefully there's not another monkeypox pandemic, yeah. but, it, but as that gets in the rearview mirror. But I thought you try and get inflation, what do you, what do you think, it's, is it double digit now? Or you, you trust the 9% number? You think it's 9%? Right uh, the headline is over is 9%. If you look at some of the core measures, uh, core PCE inflation and has a four handle, uh, I, I like Dallas Fed trim mean. This is, this is where you throw out the high price increases and the low price increases. You just look at the middle of the distribution that one has gone up to 4%. shows no sign of turning around yet. So I think 
we're going to have to see convincing evidence across the board, headline and other measures of uh, core inflation all coming down convincingly uh, before we'll uh, be able to um, uh, feel like we're doing enough and we're doing well, our well, job. Well, obviously, rates, we're going to meet, inflation's going to come down. You're not going to go above 9%, obviously, as a terminal Inf rate. So hopefully, the inflation's oh. going to be coming down. Yeah. Where do you think so it, you, I, you meet think, the middle somewhere? I think what will happen is, uh, yeah, you'll get some natural moderation. Uh, some of that's happening with energy and commodity prices already. already. And then, uh, but there's a part of it that, that won't go away on its own. It'll only go away because the Fed is taking aggressive action. And we need that part to also be uh, headed lower. And uh, we need all, all of that to happen altogether uh, in order to be in a really convincing place. And, you know, you mentioned, well, there's a lot of shocks. Uh, of course. And part of our job is to manage uh, the many shocks that hit the macro economy. And, and try to make the best policy we can in that environment. The uh, one I referenced the article of Phil Graham, and, and it was an op-ed piece, obviously, so it's not news in the journal. They, they talk about one of the issues back then in the 70s was that the Fed had to enable um, all the fiscal spending that was occurring uh, in a couple of administrations. And they seem to think that there's some similarities uh, in, in the current situation. And, and maybe rightly so with the pandemic, we spent a lot of money, trillions yeah. and trillions. Yeah. We're talking about spending some more. We just did the CHIPS Act. We may yeah. do another, I don't know, tax and spend of, of 700. Does that make your, that might make it easier because tax increases might slow the economy. So maybe, it, are you for these latest things that yeah, you, I mean, you have to I'm do less? Yeah, I mean, I'm anxious to hear more about this bill uh, this morning, but it's supposed to have uh, pay-fors in it. And, um, you know, sometimes when Congress does that, uh, they're not really there. Sometimes they really are there. So uh, we'll see with this particular one. But I agree with you. Uh, the pandemic was a special shock. It was a global shock. We didn't, at the beginning, we didn't know uh, how severe it was going to be. The spirit of the spring of 2020 was to do a lot uh, in order to try to mitigate the economic damage from the pandemic uh, that would have could have occurred on top of the human uh, suffering that was occurring. So um, if there was ever a time to have a big fiscal program, that was probably it. It had bipartisan support and the Fed was all in. Uh, with a very aggressive uh, monetary policy. So you could say that that was risking high inflation. Uh, we didn't see it for the first year, but uh, we got into 2021, and all of a sudden we started to see the inflation. So now we have to bring that back under control. We have to switch back to a, a, a new regime where you have the spending programs go back to what they were before, and the monetary policy gets much tougher on inflation. There's People that argue that it was all because of too few or too many dollars chasing too few goods from all the, the, the fiscal spending from whatever, the pandemic, even after that. And there's others that say, look, it's reopening, supply chain related, lockdowns are still in, in China. You've got you know, energy prices from uh, the invasion of, of Ukraine. Do you think some of it really was too much money in the system chasing too few goods, and if you believe that, yeah, you th won't go too far off with that uh, with that story. Too much money chasing too few goods. So then, what are we doing now? And when you hear that they named it the Inflation Reduction Act, do you just laugh out loud? I mean, do you do you do you do you, do you know how Washington works? But 
do you see the sort of irony in, in, in tacking on another 700 billion with tax in, increases and spending involved? Does that in any way look like an inflation reduction bill to you? Are you uh, for it? I think there's a study out of Penn uh, that tries to evaluate the inflationary. They've already, they've already thrown that out and said that's inflationary they don't believe but it. But, you know, I, I did look at the uh, Committee for Responsible Budgets uh, retort Another thing they throw out is... But, but basically, I would say those numbers are small. Uh, so whatever effects are coming through those channels are very small. Um, the central bank... U.S. central bank and central banks around the world all have inflation targets. Why do they have inflation targets? Because we think the, right. the main responsibility for inflation lies. So with you're the not opposed bank. to that. There's some and good things in it that, that, that you think that that might make sense for us to do as no, a country. I'm not going to weigh in on a piece of legislation, but uh, uh, we try to stay out of the political fray and let them uh, argue about it. But as far as I can tell, it does seem like this is not pure deficit spending. It does seem like they've got some tax increases in there, and it sounds like Senator Manchin and on that. So, you know, whether that would go through the Congress or not, I don't know. If you're trying to get a soft landing and avoid a, a hard one, do you think a tax increase makes sense right now for any sector of the economy? Makes it easier for you. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll cause our own recession. <laughs> uh, I, I don't, I haven't done an assessment of this legislation, so I just don't know. Oh my God. I got you right here. I can come right over there. I come right over there and start twisting your arm if, if I feel it's necessary. Yeah, I mean, we want to stay out of the political fray. Let them uh, argue about that stuff. And How about the we Chips Act? You, you, you think that was smart? Picking, monetary a, policy. picking an industry and, and favoring that. And, and that's, there's, that's, there's some spending involved there uh, as well that, that you're probably going to have to print some money for. I think geopolitics comes in on the chips issue, and that's swaying uh, members of Congress. They do worry about this uh, uh, dependence on sources of chips that may not be that you know may not uh, be there in the future, and it's such a key element of the, yeah. uh, of the economy. So it's a big issue. All right, I'm exhausted. <laughs> James Bullard, uh, great to have you here, and uh, great to be here. You're two games back. Milwaukee looks. I'm not convinced they're that great. Yeah, uh, the Cardinals in the past have had great runs in uh, August, September, so we'll see if we can get You know, that. the Reds are not in the cellar anymore. They're in third place. They're ahead of Chicago they're, and They're roaring Pittsburgh. back. They are roaring back. Yes. You say that Excellent. like you're, you're facetious. You're being facetious. Well, the cards took three out of five. So. <laughs> they're, only 13, <laughs> they're only 13 games back for the wild card. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, a big move, literally, at Insta. The work from home, work from the office, work from anywhere situation, I think, is shifting. You have lots. Some work from anywhere, Rex, from our office to yours. Sausalito, Sorkin. Sausalito. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, 
They'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Andrew. Here's some interesting news for you, Joe. Instagram's chief, Adam Masseri, is relocating from San Francisco to London. The parent company of Meta saying that Masseri would assist the company's creator team, which is focused on helping certain users make money from their posts and countering the rapid rise of TikTok. Meta told CNBC the move would be temporary. London is Meta's largest engineering hub outside the United States, with more than 4,000 employees, including a dedicated Instagram product team. But I think it says a lot. I think about what's happening in this whole sort of, I don't know if we're in a post-pandemic, mid-pandemic, whatever we're in, but the work from home, work from the office, work from anywhere situation, I think is shifting. You have lots of employees, especially at places like Meta, that have really decided that you can do it anywhere, um, that you're moving some of the most senior people to, to very different places than, quote unquote, headquarters. Yeah, probably doesn't matter, I guess, for him. Is he does he lived in London before? Does he want to be in London? I get that. I mean, that's what I would assume. I mean, San Francisco is a you know, beautiful, great city. Oh, what? I knew you would go there. I knew. I knew you. Where? No, this, I, this a comment, uh, uh, no, I'm not a saying in a bad way. on the state of San Francisco. No, I love. Uh, it's our most. Isn't it our most beautiful city? It is. I mean, it's got some issues that I wasn't alluding to those right now. Oh, I, I'm, I, I'm I thought, sure oh, that. Uh, that was my no, doing. I mean, I, yes. could you not be happy on, on, uh, in the San Francisco? I could be very happy in the San Francisco. I could be right? very I happy. I, I don't know if I'd live right in downtown, right in San Francisco, but I could, I guarantee I could be happy in a lot of places out. In, it's expensive, but beautiful, great weather. I mean, the city by the bay, come is. on. Sorkin, great sports. I'm, I'm with you. It's great. You got me. So what are you saying but exactly? I do you, too. So you, you are... You're, you're like just assuming that there's going to be a, an issue with something. Now you're just assuming that I've got some reactionary take on every single thing we talk about. I, he, he may want, is he from London? Does he like London? Does he want to go? I can certainly, I love London too. I, I don't, I, I haven't talked to Adam about it. But Spell I will, it out, I'll, maybe I'll Andrew. Get, Spell it out. Maybe what I'll are you message saying? Him, Spell it out. Message him on Instagram right now. <laughs> yeah, all right. And ask him about his, his plans. It, it, it may not be permanent. I, we could. I, I would be perfectly willing to, the, our schedule would be a lot better uh, we, we, if we if went we were over in there London. for, oh, for a while. Oh, our schedule would be great in London. We could go over we there for a while. Nude. I will not go on the eye. I've been on it once. and No, 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 no. I, I just sat, did it again. I sat right in the multiple. middle. I sat right in the middle, and I couldn't wait for it to be over. I was, I was absolutely, I have something uh, genetic It's about so that. slow. It moves at That's a That's the problem. Pace. When you're going over around the top, and you go each one, uh, it's like, I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to. And then, you know, they got the, the, the things with the, with the mirrors underneath. Let's see, is there an explosive? No, there's nothing here. Maybe it's over here. It's like, I just, the whole thing scared me. Sausalito, Sorkin. Sausalito. Unbelievable place. What about Sausalito? I love it. And I would live, I could live there. The only problem, it's 98, per, it's more expensive in Sausalito than 98% of the rest of the country. Have you been? You've been to the Trident? I have been. It's beautiful. It's you beautiful. Chet, you, you ever heard of Chet Baker? You know what happened there, right? No. He got in a horrible fight, lost his teeth, couldn't play trumpet 
for like five years after a horrible fight. I, I had uh, dinner at the Trident. I love Sausalito. I'll, I'll What's live in Sausalito. What's the commute like into town from Sausalito? Maybe not great, but beautiful. <laughs> over, the, over the Golden Gate, right? With the yep. fog, the fog and everything. Awesome. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC right at 6 Eastern. And follow Squawk Pod anytime, wherever you get your podcasts. You can tweet us your thoughts at Squawk CNBC. Have a great Wednesday. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 